when you start a property management business, what you need to do is know your why. Why are you actually in the business? And I always say, if you don't know your why, then you'll never discover what your how is. So if you know your why, how are we actually going to create this business and make sure that, you know, whatever we do is sustainable? Because one of the biggest challenges we have in property management is growth. And that's not new growth, it's retention of business. You're listening to Elevate, the official podcast of Elite Agent for real estate industry sales professionals, property managers and leaders. With thanks to our partner Connect Now, Elevate brings you the best tools, thinking and strategies to elevate your results. To get access to all of Elite Agent's premium resources, including a detailed episode guide for this podcast, visit joineliteagent.com. And for more information about how Connect Now can make moving easier on your clients, visit connectnow.com.au. Here is your host, Samantha McLean. Welcome to another episode of the Elevate podcast where we delve into some of the most interesting minds in business and in real estate for the very best tips and strategies for you to implement to elevate your business. I'm Samantha McLean, editor of Elite Agent and host of today's show. My guest today is property management expert, Joe Oliveri. With more than 30 years experience, Joe is known for promoting positive change in the real estate industry and has trained thousands of business owners and property managers worldwide. So Joe, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's such a joy and absolute pleasure to be here. I was just looking at my notes and, and it says Joanne, 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 but I've always known you as Joe, so I'm hoping that's okay. Oh, please, sir. If anyone calls me Joanne, I think, what have I done wrong? <laughs> <laughs> it's the same when people call me Samantha. I start getting really worried. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we just um, we just printed issue 40 of the magazine, and I don't know if you realised it, but you were in issue one. Uh, like years and years ago, because it was funny, we were flipping through issue one thinking who's who's been around as long as us, and we found you in there. So first of all, thank you for contributing all that time ago. My pleasure. <laughs> Tell us what you've been up to recently. Like um, it's been a bit of a confusing couple of years, but what have you been doing? Yeah, well, since the uh, pandemic struck, um, as many that would know me, uh, would know that uh, we dashed back from the US not knowing that we were on that last flight out of the USA and, and you know, expecting to be back there by now. But we've uh, bunkered down in Brisbane where we live and we've been working on some technology for the industry, which has been really exciting because I, I managed to attract, and I say literally attract, some partners over there who were looking... Um, to create a workflow program for property management. And uh, we were trying to do the same thing. And we thought, well, we know what's needed, but we don't know technology. And, and literally out of the blue, someone approached us wanting to know if they could work with us on this. So that's what we've been doing during the pandemic. Yeah, it's actually a good time for doing that sort of thing, isn't it? While you can't actually necessarily travel and, and see people the way that we're used to, it's good to, to come up with something new. Exactly. Yes. Especially, you know, because I am someone who my mind is constantly on the go. And um, I think I would have gone stir crazy if I didn't have something to work on. <laughs> That's how I've certainly known you coming backwards and forwards from between Australia and the US for, for a number of years. How did you get involved in the US um, property management market? Yeah, when I first started in uh, property management, 
um, I felt that there was something I could do to, you know, um, have a, a deeper understanding of property management and be part of a change that I felt, you know, was necessary and needed to come. And um, as part of that, you know, my, my own thoughts were I need to know everything about real estate. It's not just property management. I need to have the overall big picture. And, and um, as luck would have it, at that time, we got uh, sent to Papua New Guinea, and that's a place where you don't do property management. Um, so I used that time to learn more. And um, from there, we moved to New Zealand where I had the opportunity to work in sales. But as part of working in sales, I had to do this uh, paper at the Open Polytechnic and, and I wrote on, on global real estate. So this was before the internet and all of that. And I talked about people being able to just shop for real estate online. And that kind of like opened up my mind to the possibilities of, you know, can I actually become a, a global agent? And, um, you know, not long after that, I ended up, you know, finding that there was a course that I could do. I, I did my um, certificate in as an international property specialist. And through that, I started to network with a lot of agents from around the world. And, and the more I went to the US, the more I could see that there's these amazing opportunities. And, and it just grew into me traveling there probably every six weeks um, to the point where I then moved there and, and, you know, just loved it. And what are some of the differences that you see between the Australian market and the US market? Yeah, one of the, the biggest things, and if I, you know, focus on property management is the fact that over in the US, a lot of sales agents actually do their own property management. Um, but property management to them is more like collect the rent on the owner's behalf uh, so that they can save them fees in management um, and bypass a trust account. So it's not done very well. Um, and, you know, and tenants fail to report maintenance. So I saw enormous opportunities to go over there and assist with kind of like different ideas so they could bring it in-house and they actually avoided having it in-house because of all of the liability and things like that. So um, they're so scared of being sued. It's like a, all you need is processes and, and a, you know, a proper plan of management. Yeah, so in Australia, it's more regulated than literally anywhere else, yeah? Yeah, it's, it's very regulated in a more succinct manner, whereas in the US, they've got a lot of legislation that actually creates a lot of fear amongst agents. So um, the legislation, you know, when I really looked into it, they saw it as something that, you know, could potentially bring them undone, which it could if they didn't have the right system. It's the same in here. But, uh, you know, legislation to me is common sense. So if you remove the fear from legislation, then, you know, you'll be able to, um, you know, build a, a great service and, and one that is not risk-free. There's always risk in business, but, you know, you can mitigate risk. What do you think at the moment about what's going on in Australia with some of the, some of the discounters like different and things like that that have made some big moves this year? Um, how would you suggest competing against agencies like those? Yeah, well, you know, this is something I really love to chat about because I think there's a, a place for everyone. You know, there are people who just focus on whatever the, the cheapest fees are 
and um, and that's okay. It's like the airlines; they've competed very well in the air with the discount airlines, and you know people will fly at the cheapest rate and and you know pay the extra for baggage and you know not get drinks and and nuts on the plane. Whereas others want the full service, and and I think it's the same in property management. You will always get the people who are willing to pay a fee for service and results. But if we don't know how to communicate that, then they don't know what to expect from us. So, yeah, I, I think, you know, we all need to understand where our place is and there's a place for everyone. It's like the Uber argument, isn't it? I mean, some people will always be Uber Xs, whereas some people like the Uber Comfort and the Uber Black. And Absolutely. And Sam, it's like, you know, if you go to the grocery store, there's a plethora of products, all different brands, Um but, you know, we have our, our brand that we love and, you know, baked beans is a good example of that. How many brands of baked beans are there? But most of us will go for the Heinz baked beans, which is the most expensive, but we know that it's, you know, um, we can rely on its consistency, good taste, and there's a good ad for Heinz baked beans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. We've, we've all been singing the song since we were kids. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So if you were um, starting a property management business right now, what are some of the things that you would be focusing on? Yeah, well, I think, uh, you know, when you start a property management business, what you need to do is know your why. Why are you actually in the business? And I always say, if you don't know your why, then you'll never discover what your how is. So if you know your why, how are we actually going to create this business and make sure that, you know, whatever we do is sustainable? Because one of the biggest challenges we have in property management is growth. And that's not new growth, it's retention of business. So, you know, you, you bring in new business, but you're never growing. So it comes back to when you start a business, start with the right tools and make sure that you are ready to scale, you know, as required. Um, and, you know, invest in, you know, new um, resources as required. And I, I think because a lot of companies start with like, let's just get it going. It's, it's kind of a little bit of a desperate start instead of a deliberate start. And, and, you know, this is even something I learned through my Disney training is always be hyper intentional in everything you do. And I think that's what's missing. So be hyper intentional, you know, have the, have the nuts and bolts in place. Yeah, absolutely. So I did want to dig into this Disney training that you've had because you recently wrote an article on what agencies can learn from, well, some of the big brands like McDonald's and Disney, but what were some of the big takeaways from your training at Disney that you can transplant into the real estate world? Yeah, when I did my Disney training, it was like a a complete shift in my mindset from doing that Um, because, you know, what we see at Disney is, is, magic everywhere but we're actually taken behind the scenes where we see you know all the things that are going on to create the magic and one of the biggest things at Disney is the the processes that they have everything is process driven um you know nothing happens without a process and they never break that process it's you know they never compromise on process they never compromise on safety but process is part of the safety. Um, And, you know, we would do our lessons at the Institute and then actually be taken into the park to see firsthand, you know, how that translates to what happens in the park. And, 
And I think something that really opened my eyes is understanding that, you know, when people go to Disney, they will pay sometimes thousands of dollars to tens of thousands of dollars to go there. And they might only have two days, four days in the park. But to get around to all the rides means you've got to actually line up for the rides. And, you know, some of those lines can be two hours or I was in a ride once for four hours. And um, I love observing people. And, you know, what I saw is people already had the expectation that they would have to line up to go on this particular ride. They also had the expectation that Disney says safety first. So if that ride breaks down, it stops until they've got it working again. And, you know, like quite often I would be in lines where the ride would break down and people would just disperse and, you know, be whistling and singing as they go off to the next ride um, and not complaining. Whereas what we have in our industry is if we are not immediate on things, we have this complaining and, and, you know, clients expecting things to be done, you know, absolutely immediately, drop everything. And so to me, it was, you know, setting expectations for the clients. And I think that's, you know, one of the biggest lessons I took from Disney apart from the processes. And if you've got the processes, you can set the expectations. So people will work with you. There's so much to unpack in what you just said, which was amazing. <laughs> um, you know, like it, 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 it is really interesting because I'm sure some people think about our business too. They see the nice glossy magazine, but they don't see any of the stuff that goes on behind it. Um, you know, and I guess similar to what you just said about Disney, how do you get that effect in property management that people just think, you know, oh, wow, this is it, but you know, they don't feel all of the other stuff going on underneath. Yeah. It's, and I think, Sam, what it comes back to is us knowing who we are and us knowing then how to set expectations and create our own cultures. So people will, I don't like to use the word buy-in, but they, they're kind of like infused with that culture. The same as that feeling I get when I'm at Disney. It's like, it feels like when you, you know, walk under the, the, the railway track and you enter Disney, it feels like you, it's like all of a sudden you hit with this energy and Disney created that. So, you know, it's up to us to create that with our clients too. But if, if, if we don't have a business that is hyper-intentional, if we're constantly, you know, like desperate in what we're doing and, and just doing things Band-Aid, we can never be deliberate in our actions. So, um, you know, a lot of companies work with this desperate reaction instead of deliberate actions. And when you understand how to work, you know, to be deliberate in what you do, um, you'll find that clients, team, everyone is happy. The business owner is happy. It's like, cause they, they know what to expect from their business. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing is the expectation setting, which is, you know, doing what you say you're going to do. Well, actually, it's even more than that. It's it's actually letting people know ahead of schedule. What are some of the ways in which you think property managers could better set expectations for both tenants and for investors? Yes, well, I think, you know, the first thing is that uh, clients need to know that you cannot get back to them immediately. Uh, property manager's job is out of the office most of the day. If they're not out of the office, they're not doing their job properly. 
Um, so, you know, when they're out of the office, they shouldn't be taking calls. Uh, they shouldn't be looking at emails because they should be at the office office logging details of the call and email to the software that they use. So, you know, by clients understanding that and knowing that they'll be given a time when they'll be responded to, clients will meet those expectations. But the other thing is that, you know, um, clients understanding that it's not one person who's managing their property. There's one person who's assigned as a responsible portfolio manager, but it is the company, it is the team that's looking after that client. So I think, it, you know, another area where we fail in property management is not helping the clients to understand they're not dealing with one person, they're dealing with a team. It's a team behind them and anyone in that team can help them. And I think if we set those expectations, the clients will work with us. One of the very first articles that you wrote for us was an article on what is the best structure in property management. And I, it was a really great article, actually. I'll get um, get the gang to link it up in the show notes again, because I think it's one of those timeless things that, you know, is it task or is it portfolio or is it some sort of a hybrid? If you were setting up business today, do you have a favourite model today? Well, I think, you know, the favourite model is always portfolio, um, where you've got someone who is responsible to, you know, the client. Um, but then what we have to understand with portfolio is in order for our businesses to scale, that portfolio will grow so it will have an assistant who's learning everything. And this is what other businesses do to scale. That person will learn everything. So it becomes a pod um, for a little while. And when that person has learned everything about the culture of the business, the policy, the process, the protocol, the practices, all of those things, then that team member is ready to have their own portfolio. So that pod, the, the portfolio that grew into a pod is now ready to be split back into a portfolio. And I think that's where a lot of companies go wrong is that it's business is not something that is just solid. You've got to be very fluid and flexible with growth. And that way you'll learn to scale the business and, you know, um, have retention at the same time. Good answer. I think that covers all of the options that you had in that article all, all, all those years ago. Um, so we talked about Disney. Now I'd like to talk about McDonald's because you recently talked about McDonald's and consistency. And there's a lot of people in the industry that think that we can learn a lot from McDonald's. What do you think are the big lessons from from the golden arches that we can take away? Mm. Well, let me first say I don't eat McDonald's. No, me neither. I, no. Except, except with a hangover. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think that's a given. Um, but it is something that regardless of if we don't eat it or not, you know, uh, a lot of people travel a lot like I do. And if you're somewhere where you, you know, like don't understand the, you know, the cuisine of that area, you see McDonald's and you think at least I can rely on that. And, um, you know, one of the things with McDonald's is regardless of where they're located in the world um, and regardless of, you know, who's serving them, what we all understand is McDonald's is consistent in every way. Um, and the only thing that changes from one restaurant to the other is the community where they're located. So they might have, you know, um, an influence of, of what that kind of, um, you know, dietary 
um, you know, like is in the area. For example, there's a lot of cinnamon. Chili yeah. sauce in Malaysia. Yeah, I, yeah, I lived in exactly. Malaysia for a while and you would, yeah, handed the sauce chili with your Big Mac, yeah. Exactly, that's right. And McDonald's has been very, very good at bringing in kids, you know, 14-year-olds and that 14-year-old behind the counter is, you know, consistent with, you know, asking you, do you want to upsize that? Would you like this with it? Would you like that with it? And they don't hesitate to ask the question and they stick to the language. Language is really important in all industries. You see Disney's got their own language. McDonald's has their own language, Starbucks. So, you know, that's what helps with creating consistency as well. But, you know, they've proven that you can train a 14-year-old and that 14-year-old represents everything that the brand says it is. And the burgers, what I always say in my training is anyone who's maybe worked for Burger King or um, Hungry Jacks, I think in Australia, if they work for Hungry Jacks and they go and work for McDonald's and they'd say, well, you know, at Hungry Jacks or Burger King, we built the burger this way. McDonald's is very, very, you know, strict on this is the way we build a McDonald's burger. And that's the way we'll always build a McDonald's burger. So right down to the burger or the way that the um, fries are made or the, the shakes are made, it is always consistent. And that's what people rely on, consistency. So, mm, yeah. Because you, you know what you're going to get. Exactly. Yeah, again, it's you just reminded me of, you know, my early career. I used to drive around to legal offices like in all sorts of areas of Australia installing networks. And come to think of it, I used to always go to McDonald's because I knew that the toilets would be clean like when go. I was travelling exactly. a lot. Exactly, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it's that yeah. consistency in everything that is important. And if we had that in property management, that's what clients come to rely on and it, and it kind of like becomes a, you know, a safety barrier for them. So, or, yeah. or a safety, like something that they, they can lean on. So, yeah. Yeah, it's good advice actually so that the, the client gets to know you and sees you as a safe haven to pull into. In, exactly. In yes, yes. Yeah. We've been talking to a lot of BDMs lately um, and one of the problems that they consistently say crops up is this fee conversation. Like they'll get a client calling them up saying, um, you know, I'm looking. I'm looking for a property manager. In effect, what are your fees like? And it's the second question that they ask. Um, can you give us some idea of some tips and strategies to like open a conversation instead of just going, oh, "I'm like, you know, I'm part of an Excel spreadsheet here. Here you go. It's eight percent or something <laughs> like that." Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think you know, um, it's natural for everyone to you know want to know what the fees are, and and I think. In general, people think that they need to ask about fees because they see us all as being the same. Um, but that's our opportunity to actually shine and ask the client something different when they ask, what are your fees? And my first response would be, I would love to know why you've got this rental property because not all owners are the same. You know, not all rental property owners are investors. Sometimes it's their own home that they can't sell. So what's your reason? Um, because unless I know your reason, then, you know, I won't be able to service you. Because what I like to say is I'm the how to your why. So what is your why? 
And that opens up conversation because they're thinking, well, you're, you're not like everyone else who just, you know, blurted out the fees and almost apologised for charging those fees. And, um, you know, if, if you don't know your own value, you can't share your value. So there's, there's no way that you can, you know, kind of like promote the value in what you do if you're not believing in it. If the, the first thing you have to say is that here's our fees, but if someone else has offered you something else, then we'll drop our fees. Because, you know, that's a lot of the conversations we're hearing and, and part of the training that we do when I work with, um, I call them growth managers, is I call the competitors with them and get them to ask that very question to see what the response is. And um, it's it really is almost like they're apologising. So um, the clients are not seeing something different. So I say, you know, share your difference. And um, so I actually say, you know, share, shine and show. And when you share, shine and show, then clients will warm to that and understand, you know, you are different. So, you know, please, you know, share more about what you can do for me. And the other thing is, you know, it's not the fees, it's the results that matter. So know your numbers and, and you'll know, Sam, I write a lot of articles about numbers. It's all about the numbers. And if, if you sit down with the clients and, you know, do some quick maths with them, and you can even do this on Zoom using a whiteboard and, you know, share with them what the net result will be. So if they would charge the lower management fees and then the higher fees, you know, what their net result will be based on your, you know, achievements in the market area. So, you know, you've got to know um, where you sit in your market and be confident in promoting that and the benefits to the clients. So, you know, know your benefit and value to the clients and their focus will, will, it will shift, you know, you can almost feel it shift from, you know, the fee conversation more to, you know, what you're going to gain what for them. What can you do for me? Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Again, some of the people I talk to, you know, you say to them, what's different? You know, like, you know, obviously you need to articulate the value and articulate the benefits and things like that. Um where would you start if if someone said, and, and a lot of agents say this to me, you know, you see it on LinkedIn profiles, I'm passionate, I'm trustworthy, and expect that to be the, the major point of difference or the major thing that customers see value in. For me, I feel like that's just a ticket to the show. <laughs> like, yeah. um, you know, that's doing your job. Um what what do how do you guide property managers who might be struggling to find their point of difference? Yeah, well, uh, you know, the, the point of difference needs to come from the company that they work for, and um, then they have to be totally connected to the point of difference for that company. So it, it comes back to the business owner, and you know, the business owner being able to one find what their point of difference is. Um, and that could even be just, you know, their community focus. So, you know, they're, they're so focused on that community that they're so focused on getting the best results for everyone in that community because if they get the best results for this person over here, it's going to mean that this person over here is going to gain as a result of that person getting the best results. Um, and, you know, with that conversation, I then talk about my concerns about properties that are managed by other agents who are not focused on getting the best results and how that impacts 
my clients. So by talking about community, which is what real estate is all about, it's about community, um, you know, that's a way to find the point of difference or, you know, understanding that you are not going to be uh, attracted to all potential clients out there. You don't want everyone. You know, you want the ones who are going to help your brand to shine as much as you help them to achieve the results that they're hoping for in property management. So I think, you know, if we understand that we want quality over quantity and, and quality means those ones that we really want to work with and help and support, um, then you will start to, as a result, stand out. But I, I think, Sam, if we start to, you know, look at other um, industries where there's a lot of competition like airlines, hotels, uh, even taxis with, you know, the Uber, we can learn so much from that. Restaurants, it, you know, it, it's not about the cheapest. It's about the ones who really know what they're delivering to the clients. And, um, and once you know that, then your team can articulate that and, and represent what that brand is all about. If I could summarise that a little bit um, as well and play it back to you, it's what you're saying is your ideal client is not everyone. That's right. 100%. Yeah. In, in a short sentence, that's exactly it. And, and they want everyone. They go for this kind of like shotgun um, effect um, and they don't even understand where their market boundaries are. So, you know, as a result, what they're doing is they're devaluing their business. They're devaluing their service. They're, you know, um, watering down their brand and um, they're reducing profitability in everything they do. So, uh, you know, it's, it's really understanding what is my business all about and creating that culture and, and, you know, that reputation by design. Yeah, that's a really interesting topic we could sort of talk about for hours, actually. Yeah, yeah. one of my um, favourites. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, so we talked about your global experience at the beginning and I think um, and also about your goal to empower property managers and, and affect positive change in the industry what are the main things that you would like to see change um, moving into 2022? Like if I could call call the guy in the big red suit and say, Joanne would like some stuff for the property management industry, what would it be? Oh, that is such a loaded question. <laughs> uh, well, I think the first thing is I would love uh, for property managers in general to embrace accountability and, and I think if they embraced accountability, they would find more enjoyment in what they're doing, just, just through that switch in mindset alone. And by embracing accountability, I think that kind of like then brings in so many other things like technology and how technology becomes a tool for what they're doing and, and not the be all and end all. I, I find it really funny how our industry promotes the technology that they're using, yet, you know, we, we fly, we go into banks, we go into restaurants, we've got no idea what technology they use, but our industry seems to like to promote the technology. So I'd like to see a change in that where we, you know, promote more about what we're doing um, and for property managers in embracing accountability to um, then embrace incentives for what they're doing. And I think if we have incentives 
incentives become a win-win. We're winning for the business that we represent and we're winning for those clients that we're serving. And, um, you know, at the same time, we're earning a, you know, pretty good salary and uh, other incentives. I mean, incentives is not just money. Incentives can be flights and, and holidays away and, and all sorts of things. So I think if, if property managers in general embrace more about what property management is all about, you know, we're a service industry. Um, I've always said we're like the stockbrokers of the real estate industry to become, you know, uh, someone who's knowledgeable about the market. We're going to see a, a, a magnificent shift in our industry. Yeah, I think so too. So, some, there seems to be like a movement of more maturity and more, um, you know, upskilling and things like that, which is something something I think to look forward to to, to seeing. Great. Um, yeah. So, what's ahead for you for twenty twenty two? What What is on your goal list? Oh, well, the big goal is uh, we hope to get back to the USA. Um, so as soon as we know that there's stable borders, we'll head back there and, and um, you know, continue to get on the road and, and do our masterclasses and get our little dog that we had to leave over there. So we miss her dearly. Yeah. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, continue to roll out the the new program that we developed during the, the pandemic, which is, you know, as we speak, we're rolling it out now. And, uh, you know, we've had such wonderful feedback from that where everyone is saying, you know, this is a no-brainer and we've, we've made something, you know, that is complex into something that is very simple. So I'd love to see that, you know, rolled out. And, and just in general, I can't wait to go back to conferences again and, <laughs> Yep. And and speak and share and and you know I just can't wait to get out there and mix again. Yeah, I think I think you're not alone there. I think everyone's yeah. everyone's gagging to get out there as as well, me included. Um, yeah. I, I miss the US too, and I didn't even live there, so oh, I just can't wait to get back. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. Not to say I don't love Australia. I love Australia, but you know. Yeah, there's there's all of those shops and pizza. Exactly. <laughs> just to name two things. But um, anyway, I just want, I would like to, um, Joanne, I'd like to thank you for um, coming on today and sharing your knowledge and catching up with you. And please do let us know when you launch your product because we'd, we'd love to have a look at it. Um, I asked this final question of all of my guests, which is if there was one final piece of advice or takeaway to leave everyone with, what would it be? Uh, well, I say that you have to love what you're doing. And if you're not loving what you're doing, then you might be, you know, doing the wrong thing. And that's not to say that working in property management is not the wrong thing. It's find what you love doing in property management and, um, you know, find the joy and the joy is going to guide you through life. And, and just know whatever you do, there's going to be those days when you think, what am I doing? <laughs> you know, like, do I really want to be here? And know that every time that happens, it's just a lesson for you to, you know, take you to the next level and the next level. So find the joy. Great lesson and great advice. Joe Oliveri, thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks, Sam. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Elevate podcast. With thanks to connectnow.com.au. Don't forget to get access to all of Elite Agent's premium resources, including a detailed episode guide for this podcast. Visit joinelitagent.com.